episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Loaded Sport, where today we are going to be reviewing a number of different cup finals, as well as previewing the Champions League final that's due to take place this weekend. Also talking the latest in the transfers in the Football League and some that are taking place from abroad as well. Joining me to review all of that is, first of all, a lad that's just got Buxton to the National League. I told him I'd mention it as I introduced him. Kemp, how are you doing, mate? No, mate, up the books. Always up the books. Yeah, mate, I'm absolutely sound. How are you, mate? All good? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to the weekend, but that's usually the case for me. Just bought myself some new darts as well, so going to try them out on brass. Saturday night. Brass, which is very, very interesting because I don't think I've ever seen anybody use brass darts. I didn't even know they were a thing, mate, to be honest. I just thought tungsten all the way. But do you know what, mate? If you hit some good scores with him, don't matter if they made a fucking paper, does it? Let's it, be honest. It so. does not. And considering I'm very old-fashioned, it kind of makes sense. Um, also joining us to go through... Um, all the uh, the transfer action as well is a lad that got Alfreton to the National League and then relegated the preceding year. So, Sam, how are you doing, mate? Year after, mate. Come on, I, I survived one year. You've got to give me oh, a Oh, did you? There. Sorry, I thought you went straight yeah, back down. Sur- survived now. I'll just put a quick caveat in there for anybody that doesn't follow the National League. Needless to say, this is on Football Manager. We're not actually <laughs> in charge of Buxton and Alfreton. So, if, if you do pass over the podcast, any Buxton or Alfreton fans... Don't worry, you've not got a useless bald twat and a rate sexy man taking over your clubs just yet. Carry I, on. I mean, you've just gotten both promoted, so I wouldn't say useless at all, so go with what you want. Uh, we will kick things off by talking about the FA Cup final. I mentioned last weekend that I was going to go for City to win 2-0, and I was quite confident that was going to happen, and I said that I couldn't see United scoring at all. That obviously didn't happen as City walked away 2-1 winners. They won the FA Cup. But United did get themselves a goal, perhaps against the runner play. So the first thing I'm going to ask at that point is the penalty decision. Sam, I'm going to come to you first of all, because I know yeah. at the time you were quite strong on this. Your thoughts on the uh, the decision to give the penalty to Manchester mm. United? Yeah, um, it was. A, it is a penalty, isn't it? It, it is a penalty. That I don't think. I mean, there is a debate. Clearly, there's a debate. Um, but for me, it was a penalty, as in it's touched his hand. I don't agree with the rule. The rule is, is a bad rule. The rule should be changed, but the rule that is in place currently states that that is a penalty. Your hand is in an unnatural position, you know, around, around his head, around the back of his head, wherever it was, and the ball's glanced off it. And it's not even facing the ball, which, you know, you can you can argue a case for or against that. He's thinking, well, he's not even facing ball, then that's his fault. It should be facing ball or he's not looking at ball, so how can he move his hand? So, but for me, it was a penalty just from the, that rule being in place, but 100% that rule does need change. I, I found it very interesting because I run most of the uh, the Loader Sport Twitter at the minute. I did put a poll up at the time when uh, the, it, it happened. I think got about nearly 30 votes on it. I put, was was it a penalty, yes or no? And I, it was dead on, 50-50, which is the first ever poll I've done like that was, was on the nose at 50-50. So that just shows yourself how uh, controversial, controversial it was. I voted for no. I didn't think it should have been a penalty. I thought that it was just one of those sort of motions. Like you say, yes, it's a penalty in terms of what the law of, of handball is at the moment, but it's, again, it's a poor rule that needs to be changed. And I think <laughs> yeah. on that basis, to me, no, it's not a penalty. It's just the way in which he's landing. If he's deliberately going to handle the ball, then it's different. But if he's trying to get the ball, his hand out of the way of the ball, or if it's just 
in a sort of like we, we all play football we know how, how it is when you're jumping up for a header or, or you miss the ball or anything like that and you're trying to land sometimes you put your arms out just to make sure you're softening hmm. the landing that kind of thing so to me no it, it shouldn't have been a penalty Kemp what was your side of the vote on? Yeah, I completely agree with Sam. And to be fair, what you just said there, Adam, you do as well. So I'm surprised you voted no on that poll because technically, by the law, by the letter of the law, as um, as as uh, the letter Hastings would say on line of duty, the letter, um, it's a penalty, and it's as simple as that. Is the law stupid? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. fucking ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. They Thank need you. to look at this handball rule because the amount of times that it's an accidental handball or somebody's hand is in an unnatural position. Um, it's it's so woolly and, and it's such a matter of opinion. It's just it needs tightening up. How they do it, I don't know. That's probably a conversation. Well, well just on that, just before you do um, carry yeah. on, just just on that little bit what you're saying there, it went back to the studio at half time and Gary Lineker said he's had it on very good authority on a saucy trust. That rule will be changing in the summer. It will be. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be going back to how it used to be. So that, that yeah, and, and I'm and I think that's the right decision. I think since this new handball law came in. Um, I don't know exactly what's changed in terms of the laws, but what I do know is that the amount of decisions that have been made, and, and I've looked at it and I thought, that's not, that's ridiculous, that's so harsh compared to the the sort of rulings I looked at before the the rule was in place. Um, I, I would say that it's a, a very silly rule that probably needs changing sooner rather than later. So fingers crossed, Gary Lineker is correct. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's harsh. Adam, you, I think you predicted 2-0 to City. Should have been 2-0 to City yeah. because that, that penalty shouldn't have been given and, and ultimately United shouldn't have the chance to score. Um, but yeah, handball will hopefully change. But fortunately enough, it, it didn't change the, the outcome for the very deserved winners at Man City on the day. Yeah, deserved is the word, I think, for that. I don't think United remotely looked like scoring. I can't think of one chance throughout the entire 90 minutes where you think, oh, they should have, uh, you know, Gineb, ooh, sort of City looking in trouble sort of thing. And no, yeah, not City, at all. City were just in complete control, I thought, from from 12 seconds in when Gundogan with that absolutely stunning volley. Mm. And from then on, they just didn't look like they were ever going to lose it for me. Yeah, you're spot on. And to be fair, um, I think... In the weirdest sort of way, and you boys might look at me and think, what the fuck are you going on about? That might have been the best thing that could have happened to Ten Hag. Because after that final, if they win that final, Man United, and they're looking good and they're looking that they're about on a par with Man City, maybe because City are focusing on the weekend or whatever it might be, uh, next week, obviously this weekend, coming up with the Champions League final, which we'll get to. Um, if he goes into the into the boardroom with with Murtar and, and whoever and, and slams his hand down on the desk and says, right, you know, we, we need to invest... You know, they can quite easily turn around and say, well, hang on a minute, you just beat them in FA Cup final and you were about on level pegging. So do we need to invest that much? Whereas now after that performance, I do think Ten Hag can come in and say, right, I've done everything that I can with this set of players because let's be honest, I think we all agree that he probably has done the best that he can with, with the tools that he's been given. But now he can turn around to them and say, right, this is not good enough. Look at the the result of that game. We were outplayed in every single metric. You need to back me. So actually, by losing that FA Cup final, I do think that Man United have got a little bit of ammunition and Ten Hag got a bit of ammunition to go back to the owners and say, right, sort your shit out. And hopefully, well, hopefully for Man United fans' sake, I know there's been a new bid going by uh, the Qatari yeah, investors. Um, there might be a different set of eyes staring across the table to Ten Hag who might actually back him a little bit more. But... We'll see. We'll talk about that when it potentially either goes through or not. But yeah, City deserve winners on the day. And, and like you say there, Sam, um, you know, I didn't really get a sniff really. So unfortunate for them. It does also mean they're now two thirds of the way towards their treble, which moves on nicely to talk about this weekend's um, Champions League final against Inter Milan. I think we a lot of us said that 
against Manchester United was tougher opposition than against Inter Milan is going to be this weekend. So, uh, Sam, I'll come back to you for this one. Your your prediction, your expectation, is it going to be a City treble? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I don't know if it's going to be as as comfortable as I first thought a week ago against against United. I really thought United were were going to be the toughest one of the two legs. And as I say, I thought they were in complete control from start to finish of that game. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, Inter Milan have got a bit about them. Them Italian teams always seem to have a knack in, in a big final where, I mean, look at Euro 2020. Um, them Italian teams in finals, they just seem to dig their heels in, make it as awkward as possible for the opposition. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's not as a foregone conclusion as, uh, as our friend Dawson, who's, who's not with us today, but uh, that's something he'd normally say. Uh, but yeah, I am going to still go for a City win. Because I said it to I said it a week ago, and I don't want to be joining skin by moving my chair every every week or so. So yeah, I'm still going for a city win. I just don't know if it will be as straightforward as I first thought it would be. No, what, what, I know you said against Manchester United, you thought it was going to be a bit of a different sort of battle. So what what's made you think that it's going to be a completely different battle against Inter Milan? Uh, it's a fair question. I haven't really got a lot to base it on. It's a bit of a gut feeling, but I just right. feel like I think Inter Milan compared against that United team, I think they're better defenders than United. I think they've just got it in the in the blood, Italian defending. I think they'll cope with City having the ball better than United will. United at times were, you know, sixes and sevens and, and they were a bit desperate at times. But, uh, yeah, I, I think they'll they'll sit in. I think that, and they'll, they'll be used to doing that, sitting in. Um, they've got plenty of pace up front with um, Latorio Martinez. I mean, I think he, he looked absolute joy in that uh, semi-final against AC. Uh, and I think this, they're going to have to rely on him. That three at the back, that City are going to play, it can be got at, I do believe, uh, with John Stones going into midfield. It just only takes one ball over the top and all of a sudden they've got the backs against the wall and they're scrambling and that, that sort of pace can hurt them. They've got Lukaku to come off the bench, so they've got a bit of depth. And I think that's one thing United really struggled with at the weekend was bringing uh, substitutions on to affect the game. They only had Garnacho. That's an equal man for Ericsson. I think he called Ericsson were just floundering, so they brought him on. It was a great change at the time. But after that, he didn't really have many other options. Ended up bringing Vegos on, and I think it were McTominay. And you're just thinking there, I know I've got a glance from Kent there, mentioning Vout, but uh, they're not the sort of substitute, inspired substitutions that are going to win you a turn tie around. He's very good, though, to be fair. Yeah, brilliant, mate. Brilliant. <laughs> 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 uh, no, and I think I think Inter do have that them options off the bench. You know, with Lukaku, I'd like to see him go shoulder to shoulder with Diaz and you know cause him a bit of problems. So, what score prediction are you going for? Five nil City. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. um 2-1. I'll go 2-1 City. Inter to lead as well, I think. I'm going to even stick my neck out as far as that. OK, Kemp? Yeah, it'll be a different game to the Man United game. Obviously, as we discussed, myself and Sam did pick Man United for that game. I think more out of hoping that United may win than, than not. I think we both do prefer United as a club than probably City. Um, but it's going to be a different game. It's going to be... I think it's going to be quite cagey, actually. Um, Pep does mess about... In, in big games like this, in Champions League final against Chelsea, fucked about with it, and obviously they paid the price. Don't think he will fuck about with it as much, but the weight of 
the treble is going to be heavy, heavy, heavy on their shoulders. Um, Man United against Bayern Munich in 99, the only other English team to do a treble of, of the same nature. Um, my, my stepdad actually went to the game, big Man United fan, and he, he said they were fucking awful. He said it's the worst he's probably seen them ever play. Um, yes, they did have Keenan Scholes not available, but should have been about four nil down, should they? Expectation <laughs> and the the way you are sorry. They should have been about four nil down at one point. Yeah, yeah. It's off at ball, landing yeah. keepers and free kicks. Yeah, yeah. So I think that the weight of that expectation is going to be there. And I think for the first half, I think it'll be a very, very boring nil-niller until half-time. Um, they'll need to settle the nerves. They'll need to make sure that, you know, that, that, that they're compact. Like you say, they've got a bit of pace on the break into Milan half, so they've got to watch that. But I, I think City have got enough about them to, to, to win the game. And, and I think win the game fairly comfortably in the end. I think I'm going to go with 3-0 Man City. Because um, I think once with, with the way that Inter Milan play, obviously sitting in and then breaking, I do think once that first goal goes in, the game plan kind of goes out the window. But when you've got players like Haaland and Grealish and Mares, if he plays, and you know the amount of options that that City have got in terms of firepower is just ridiculous. And Julian Alvarez, not even to mention, and Gundogan, who's just who just turns up in these big games, it seems. So so yeah, I think it will be cagey for the first half. But I think Man City will settle into the game in the second half. And I think they'll just be a little bit too much for into the line in the end. Adam, thoughts? I've, I've been thinking with it being a cup final, I could see it going to maybe extra time, if not decided on penalties. The way that Inter That'd Milan... That'd be amazing. Up, see, like you've already pointed out, they've got a very strong attacking threat. And defensively, they are very strong. They've already proven that throughout the Champions League. But when you come up against this Manchester City side, it is a very different kettle of fish. Like you said, Alvarez, Gundogan's not even a striker and he's scoring them sort of goals. So there's threats from all over the pitch. That's not even taking account for uh, Erling Haaland, who I don't think he even really needed to reach second gear against Manchester United, did he? He won a couple of headers. But other than that, it was almost like he, he wasn't even there. So against Inter Milan, I think it's going to finish 1-1. It's going to go to extra time. And I, I think I could probably see City grabbing a 2-1 win in extra time, if not going all the way to penalties. Um, just to be different, I'm going to go to, to penalties then, say that City are going to win it on penalties um, and see it go all the way. Um, and hopefully... City all round then, but looks of it. You mentioned that, I think the difficulty is, and you mentioned there that, that Inter Milan are quite compact again and, and they are difficult to break down. I think they are in certain respects. I mean, you saw them play against AC, AC and, and obviously against Napoli on the way to the final. Um, and they were compact. They didn't concede many goals. I think they conceded one against Napoli over two legs and, and, and whatever it might be. My concern, I believe, is with the Benfica game. So when Inter played Benfica, they conceded three goals uh, at home against Benfica. Benfica have not got the biggest firepower in the world. And that's the game that I look at for Inter and think, mm, that concerns me. Because when they're playing against Italian opposition, that you know, very, very tactical game, probably not as entertaining as, 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 as a lot of you know, Premier League games or even maybe I'd say even La Liga games. Um, but when you're playing against opposition that that can keep the ball, but also can consistently press you and attack you, I think it is a bit different, bit of a different kettle of fish. So you are right, Adam. They are quite conservative. Don't let that many goals in. But I think playing against a Man City team, you could probably have, you could have the best defense in the world, and 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 they're pretty irresistible when they get going. So um, yeah, it's an interesting point, and we'll we'll see. But for the drama value, I'd love penalties. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? 
from a neutral, it would be uh, would be great to see. A game that looked destined to be going to extra time and didn't quite make it there was the Europa Conference League final between West Ham United and Fiorentina. I think it's the first time since 1965 West Ham have won a major trophy and they did that by beating Fiorentina by two goals to one. So we, it's all good to see that uh, David Moyes has finally got himself a bit of uh, silverware, a medal, whatever else you want to add towards that for him. There have been rumours towards him going to Celtic. I can only imagine that they have now been crushed and he is going to remain with West Ham for at least another year. One person we know he's not is Declan Rice. Where is the expectation? Sam, I'll come to you again first. Where is the expectation for Declan Rice to be heading this summer? It's already been confirmed that he is going, but where do you think he's going to? Well, I don't know if I want to speak up just yet about Declan Rice because there is there is a little small matter of discussing the final, isn't there? So I'm just going to quickly just touch on the final because I didn't watch it all, I must admit, and I only watched from half-time to about 75, 80 minutes. Um, and obviously I caught the last goal as well. But um, yeah, I thought West Ham looked compact. Um, there was a, obviously a bit of uh, another VAR controversy with, with the first goal. West Ham went 1-0 up due to a penalty. Handball, funnily enough, same as the FA Cup final. The difference for me is that I do think this was a penalty. And I do think with the laws of the game in place, regardless, I think it was a penalty. Has, have, have any of you seen it by any chance? No. No, OK. So the ball's played over the top and Bowen's like shoulder to shoulder with the defender. And the defender's essentially touched the ball with his hand and the ball has taken off of Bowen's chest. It was accidental. It didn't look like he meant it, but the fact that his arm, his, his arm went towards the ball and knocked it away from Bowen, it, for me, was a, was a clear handball. And a, and a penalty rightfully given. It wasn't given at first. Uh, it, w- it was told to go go back and have a look at it as they are doing. And he went back and he, for me, he made the right decision. And then they equalised a couple of minutes later. Fantastic finish. I can't remember the Italian guy's name. That's poor of me, but it was good finish nonetheless. Uh, and then Bowen obviously stepped up right at the end and uh, buried a fine one-on-one finish. He went, think went through from halfway line and kept his cool and, and tucked it away nicely. So, yeah, fair play to West Ham. On Aventura, Sam. That's what I'm on Aventura. Um, fair play to West Ham. And I'm just going to correct you there, Aggie. You said it was 1965 since West Ham last won a trophy. And I'm going to say it wasn't. It was 1966 because they say West Ham won the World Cup, didn't they? So, oh, right. um, yeah, it's a um, great, great result for West Ham and, and David Moyes. His first ever bit of silverware of management, believe it or not, for how long he's been been around the game and trek quite poorly at United and he turned into a bit of a laughing stock at certain points in his career since 2013 and yeah I think I don't think anyone today can be, be bitter about him winning that you've seen the pictures on the sideline of him and his dad celebrating just warms your heart really so yeah fantastic final but on to Declan Rice now I am I keep to and throwing on where I think he's going to go and I don't know if it's going to be Arsenal or or not. So I don't think it's going to be United. I don't think it will be United at all. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Don't think it'll be Real Madrid because it looks like Bellingham is, is on his way there. I know that's something we'll discuss later. Um, so it is looking more and more likely that like it will be Arsenal. However, you know West Ham's Brady, Karen Brady, and is it is Golden Gold or Sullivan? I know one of them. Uh, just died, David so Sullivan. David, David Sullivan, Sullivan is, yeah. is the one. Yeah. David Sullivan, we know how they can play ball in the transfer market and they're quite uh, quite tight with the fees. So they're going to want a, a high a high transfer fee and will Arsenal pay Arsenal haven't been known. To, I mean, how much 
how much did they pay for Pepe? And that was, I think that's probably the, 63, the highest. 63, I think it that's was. 63. I think it's probably one of the highest signings, isn't it? That? So, I, think it, I think he is the record signing, yeah. So, will they get him for about 65-ish, you'd say? Maybe maybe not, no? Um, so I think I don't if know. his name was, I think if his, it was a Croatian name, Declan Rice, then mm. like Declan Declan Rysic. Yeah, Rysic. Rysic <laughs> is the one. Uh, then, then maybe 65. But yeah, young English player, captain, Really, really good experience, and obviously he's he's done wonders at West Ham. He's probably single-handedly kind of taken them a lot farther than they probably would have gone without him. Um, I am going to correct you both on West Ham very, very quickly before I carry on. The last piece of major silverware they won was 1980, which was the FA Cup final. And I'm going to correct you there, Sam, in that it was 1965 when they won the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup, which is why they say West Ham won it in 65 and then England won it in 66. So if you think about the way that it is, West Ham won, and then the year after, England won, which is why they say West Ham won England the World Cup, along with Bobby Moore, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're saying yeah, the, saying, the, say, the saying goes is West Ham won the World Cup, yeah. don't they? Because there was like, yeah. obviously Jeff yeah. Hurst and Bobby Moore and yeah, 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 all yeah, them. Yeah. So that, that, and, obviously, and they won that Cup Winners' Cup the, the year before, so you're absolutely spot on with that. But yeah, West Ham did win the FA Cup in, in 1980, and I know, Adam, you're old enough to remember that, so poor from you. <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah, with, with, with the game, I think we all like to see... West Ham probably win that. I mean, I'm a Sheffield United fan. I've got more reason to hate West Ham than anybody else um, after what happened in 2007 with Tevez and Mascherano. But it was nice to see. And I think more than anything else, for David Moyes, for, any, for, for anything else, because like you say there, Sam, you hit the nail on the head, probably was treated a little bit harshly at United. Um, did make some major mistakes at United, so brought a lot of it on himself. But, you know, was seen as a bit of a laughing stock and, stock and ridiculed. And it's, you look at it from an outsider's perspective and think, well, actually... He did a really good job at Everton for a few years um, and, and deserves a lot of respect as a manager. He's been in the game for a long, long time. So delighted for West for West Ham and delighted for David Moyes that he did manage to get a, a trophy under his belt finally. I can't see him going anywhere. How no. can you after that? Um, I think Celtic wouldn't be the worst move for him if he did because it's not the hardest job in the world with, with all due respect to the SPL. It's a two-horse race. You either win the league or you lose the league and it's, and it's as simple as that. And with the way that Ange Postacoglu set Celtic up um, and signed some decent players for them. You would imagine it's a, a, a decent job. Did you, did, did job you catch that? Did you catch that? I did, mate. Yeah, that, that's a pure Michael Owen comment. If you I'm either win the league or you lose the league. If you either win the league, no, or you no, lose no. The but league. that's what I mean. No, but that's what I mean. No, no, no. But no, but you're right. This is what I'm saying. You either win the league or you literally effectively finish bottom, don't you? Mm. Because it's a yeah. it's a it's a two team league, isn't it? No, I get what you're saying. It was pure no, no, Michael Owen. Might sound pure like Michael Owen, but actually, I'm not as bad as that twat. So no, let's no, no, no. let's let's leave that one there. Uh, but yeah, with Declan Rice, I think you are going to have to stump up at least 100 mil for him in this market. You're just going to have to do it. Um, Arsenal are the favourites. They're at two to, two to five on to sign Declan Rice, and then you've got Man United and Bayern Munich coming up the rear. Um, Bayern United. Mm. What about Bayern? Can you see? Rice at United, it seems like they've got. I'd Casemiro. like to see it. I'd like yeah, to see it. Yeah, but they've got Casemiro for that job. Like, what would, would I think United have other pressing areas to focus situation. on than than the midfield at the exactly, moment? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, look when he doesn't play, he's getting old, isn't he? Look when he doesn't play. Well, no, and it, yeah, but the the thing is, you've got to look at it from United's perspective in the sense that if they don't get sold and they haven't got this abundance of money to spend, then they've got to pick and choose the targets. Yeah, they're prioritizing a forward. They're prioritizing a centre half. Yeah. They're probably prioritizing a, a another. 
maybe another winger. You think they're prioritising the centre off? I know we're getting off topic 100%. here, but I think they've got. I think, they I think they're to. quite happy with Iran and, and Martinez. No, they've got, they've got to. You, you just said there about Casemiro. If he drops out the team, the effect it has on him. If if Lindelof or Maguire plays, Jesus, like they, they are. A well, to be fair, to, to be fair to Lindelof, he's come on leaps and bounds. Oh yeah, without he has. without being at the side of that numpty, I think. And they're on about they're yeah. on about signing a new contract with him, so they've obviously seen something. So yeah, I, but I don't I think central is. I don't think centre half is a bigger issue as, as you're saying is. But even United. so, but no, but, but even so, you know, you look at that centre forward position. That's the one that they they need big time. Mm, and definitely. and you look at if they are going to sign Harry Kane, that's going to cost them a pretty penny. Daniel Levy's not going to let him go for cheap. So I think they have got more pressing issues than a centre mid. I don't think they'll they'll go after Declan Rice as aggressively as people think when no. they have got Casemiro to, to to be in that position. So Arsenal do look like the front runners for me, but. I don't know. It's it's interesting. He's not probably not going to go to Chelsea, um, which is mm. a lot. What a lot of people did think, you know, in being in Chelsea's setup and being good Mason friends Mount, with Mason yeah. Mount, as everybody knows that, that that Chelsea will probably be a front runner. But I don't think it will. And and I think after the season that the Arsenal have have had, um, I can see him spending that money, and I can see him backing Arteta in that respect. So put a gun to my head now, and I, and I do say Arsenal. Adam. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I'd like to see him in that Arsenal side, to be fair. A young side that's got a lot to offer over these next couple of years. And I think Declan Rice would fit in and be quite a core member of that, that squad, to be fair. They've already proven that throughout the most of this season, they've been quite good attacking, creating chances. I think they could do with a bit more backup for Jesus because once he was injured, it was in Ketia. And I don't think he really proved that he's up to the standard that they really need. So maybe get another striker in, but they don't have to spend as much as they were going to spend on Declan Rice. I think they can focus on getting him and shoring up that midfield a bit better. I, I will say that I think Arsenal need a centre-half more than Manchester United need a centre-half, though, because when Saliba went down for Arsenal, they seemed completely lost at the back. They were giving away too many opportunities, too many chances, and they were throwing away silly points. I think that's what really led to their downfall and losing them the, the Premier League trophy in the end. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see him at, at Arsenal next season. Um, just, go on. just before we move on to other transfer business, um, who has had? I'd like to hear both of your opinions on this. Who would you say now has had a better season? I'm just going to pick a completely random manager out. Who has had a better season? David Moyes or Jurgen Klopp? David Moyes. David Moyes. Yeah. You know Moyes. And it's crazy that it's crazy that you say that, and, and we all answer that because Jurgen Klopp's been an absolute colossus at Liverpool mm, in the last few years. Yeah. Everybody will agree with that. He's won everything there is, there is to win, and he's galvanised that club uh, unbelievably well. Um, but David Moyes was on the cusp of the sack a couple of months ago. The talk was, do they do they stick or twist? They stuck. They got out of the the, the relegation scrap they were in, and now they've won a European trophy, albeit the Conference League the third choice European trophy, as it were, although it's a lovely little it, trophy. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd absolutely prioritise it. Have you seen the actual yeah, trophy? Yeah, it's, oh, it's lovely. Beautiful yeah. trophy. Nice bit of silver, so I think, isn't it? I think that? it's the nicest looking piece of silverware, actually, out of the three of them. But, um, but yeah, um, I, I'd say David Moyes unanimously. And to be honest with you, I'd say David Moyes has had a, a better season than, than quite a lot of Premier League managers. That's um, why. That, that was why I was careful in picking uh, Klopp, because I think... Because winning this competition will automatically now qualify them for the Europa League for next year. So they've jumped up one straight away. So I thought, 
I don't think I don't want to say Arsenal. I don't want to say Arteta because I think finishing they've pushed City away and they've got Champions League, and I think Champions League itself is a, is a is a cracking little earner for them, especially where they've come from. So I thought Klopp, obviously they've, they've technically both achieved the same thing. They've both got the Europa yeah. League this season, and he's also got silverware with it as well. So I just thought yeah, you'd always prefer to do that, wouldn't you? You'd always prefer to win the Conference League rather than finish sixth or fifth. Of course and, you would, all that, and, and get into the Europa League. So you'd much rather do that. But yeah, I mean, you just very briefly touched on Arteta there before we do move into the, the, the next stage and you compare that season and it would be difficult to compare that to Moyes but start of the season nobody had Arsenal finishing no. second not one person so when people and I've sort of said Arsenal won't win the league I, I died on that hill I ended up being right but when people say about Arsenal oh they've had a poor season because they've not won the league I think that's a load of bollocks to be honest with you yeah, they've had 100%. an unbelievable season and if you'd have given that if you'd have offered them that at the start of the season they'd have took it so you did right avoiding that comparison because I think Arteta's done a very very good job I think it's more the disappointment in the manner in which they lost the league that I think is disappointing yeah. for Arsenal fans not that they've had a bad season as a season, season as a whole I know, I know what you're saying but you've got to look at it as a season as a whole haven't you no, I absolutely agree. I think they've had a very good season to get themselves up into second, back into Champions League football. Still quite a young squad, a lot of future ahead of them. I just think from an Arsenal fan's perspective, they'll look at it as, yeah, it's a good season, but it's also slightly disappointing considering how far ahead you were at the top of the... Or from a, or from disappointing. a man who lost £20 as perspective. Mate, look, so say it's disappointing dis- and, and they're bottle jobs. You can say that, but what you can't say, it's been a poor season. It's It's been yeah. a good season. It just could have been better. So, yeah, to say it's a poor season's an outrage, to be fair. No, I, I agree. Um, we have just spoken about Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp and their season, so we'll move on to the Liverpool transfer that looks almost set if it hasn't already been confirmed. I know nothing can really happen until the yeah, 1st of July, and that confirmed. is McAllister going to Anfield. So we new, number, new number 10. There we go. We've spoken about Brighton over the uh, course of the season and how well they've been performing. The fact they lost Trossard, they lost uh, Cucurella, and now, of course, uh, McAllister, who won the World Cup over the winter break, um, he's now playing in Liverpool. So the thoughts on that transfer and and where Brighton, I suppose, as well, could really go from here. They're losing a lot of their their big players. I think it's an absolute bargain. It's a shrewd signing on paper. However, when you do look into it a little bit more, it's not quite as cheap as you think. So, thirty-five million is the is the initial fee. Uh, could rise to fifty-five. So, fifty-five does sound about right. I think for a um, a non-English, because if it was English, well, you look at Rice, similar sort of player, and he's probably double his finances. But um, I'd almost put him on par with Declan Rice to be, to be honest. In terms of quality, I think he's a, he's an absolute class act in that middle. Um, and I think Liverpool have, have hit hit it out of the park with that that transfer myself. Yeah, it's just a trend, isn't it, with Liverpool the last few years? The transfer business has always been pretty stellar. Uh, it, it was made quite obvious to everybody sort of last season when they struggled that their struggles came from that midfield three. Mm. Um, the, the way that they play that Gagan press, putting real pressure on the ball. Um, the, the wingers go forward. Trent and Robertson will always go forward and try to sort of provide those crosses and those assists. If you are having players do that, then you need players that can run box to box pretty much all game and keep up with the with the, with the play and, and and get back into those positions and defend when when you're attacking essentially, which is a bit of a, a weird statement to make, but but it's it's absolutely true in the way that Liverpool play. And I think it's it's been, it's indicative of, of how Liverpool have conducted their business in the last few years because yes, there were rumours that McAllister was going and blah blah blah, but you've not really heard that much about it. It's been quiet. Brighton have got on with the season. Liverpool have got on with the season. And then ultimately, in the space of a week, it's gone from, oh, it's looking likely to be done. And that's the way that transfer business really needs to be conducted. Like you mm. say, 
Um, I think a lot of the bonuses and stuff that go to Brighton after add-ons and stuff will probably be competition wins for Liverpool, whether they win the Premier League or whatever it might be, finishing the top four. So the, the money that they'll outlay from those extras, and I don't know the structure of the deal, but the money that they'll outlay for those extras to Brighton, they'll probably make up, if not more so, if they do win the competitions that those extras come from or, or get into those competitions that the extras come from anyway. So I think it's a really good deal. I think they need another. I think definitely, definitely need another centre mid. Um, they can't get away with um, Henderson by any means necessary or or, or um, uh, Fabinho anymore in those positions. So I think they definitely need another centre mid. But yeah, really, really good bit of business for, uh, for, for Liverpool there, Adam, your thoughts? Do you think Liverpool may be going for Rice now? We, we've just mentioned about who else could really look at him. Do you think you've just said that they're desperate for a midfielder? They've been linked with Jude Bellingham. We know he's going elsewhere. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the the money that they would have to outlay to, to get him, I don't think they've got it in the pocket, to be honest. I think they're 33-1 to 1 to sign Rice, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, it would be a good player for them. It would be exactly what they need, but it would be a lot, a lot of money for Liverpool to spend in, in a position where you've seen a lot of Liverpool fans saying FSG out. They're not investing much. They're doing a bit to the stadium as well. They're expanding a, 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 a stand um, at Anfield as well, so that costs money. So, I don't think they'll uh, they'll be able to land a, a player like Declan Rice, unfortunately for them. That's fair. Uh, no, I, I I think it's a great signing, McAllister to Liverpool. We mentioned about how I think it's deserving that some people saw him as maybe a manager of the year candidate, if not a manager of the season winner, uh, for what he's done with Brighton since Potter left to Chelsea. With regards to what Brighton do next, they're losing a lot of their big players, and I think that's just going to keep on happening. That they, they, I think they finished within Europe. Was it in the end? They finished in Europe, didn't they? In yeah. The and yes, they're losing a lot they've, of these players. And... Go they've on. got to be careful, right? So it's all well and good being a feeder club and, and, make, and making a lot of money by doing that. But you just look at Southampton about eight year, eight to ten years yeah. ago when they become a selling club and they sold the likes of Bale and was it Walcott and um, Schneiderlin and Luke Van Shaw. Dyke. And they had all these players, Adam Lallana, and they just had a, like a conveyor belt of, of, of what we thought was never-ending talent. All of a sudden, that talent's stopped, and, and eight, eight years later, they've gone down. So you do have to be careful. You have to spend it as as wisely as um, as you've sold them. So they, they do need to be careful. I don't think it's any any good being a selling club these days because it will come back to bite you eventually. Yeah, I, th- I think on that you're absolutely spot on, and they do need to look at Southampton as an example of that because obviously Southampton finished bottom this season. Maybe if they'd have retained some of that talent, they, they might have been better off. But I think in Brighton's experience, in my experience of Brighton, in, in since they've been in the Premier League, especially, they, they only tend to sell one or two, and they always tend to be able to recruit one or two, you know, to replace them in, in their stead. And, and I think what Brighton do really well is that they, their understanding of the fact that they're probably going to lose a player like McAllister. So for the past six months, they've probably been doing everything they can to scout a player that's going to replace him. So I think Brighton are a little bit mis, mi, mi, more switched on in that respect. But you are absolutely spot on. You know, if, if they do sort of cow down to. Um, the, the players that, that that want to leave and want to go and do other things. I know the young lad wanted to go to Arsenal and he ended up signing a new contract. Um, but now McAllister's gone as well. So I think if Brighton keep the vast majority of their other players, add a couple of additions, replace McAllister, I think they still will be okay. But the biggest thing for Brighton now is that they've got Europa League football and Europa League football changes everything, absolutely everything, because it's an extra at least 
six six games on on your on your fixture list, um, and that's you know that's if you don't get through the group stage, which is what they'll be wanting to do. Even if you don't get through the group stage and you finish, I think it's third, you go into the Conference League. So there's still expectations and there's still a lot of football to be played. I think Wolves were in the Europa League a few years ago, and I think they played like 65 games, didn't they, in in, yeah, in a season? Yeah. So they need to make sure that they're adding to the squad, they're adding depth because I think if they don't do that, you've seen a lot of teams get into the Europa League and really struggling in the Premier League because they've not got that strength in depth. Well, depth look, who, look, who, look who's just won. Look who's just won the Europa Conference, West Ham. Where did they yeah. finish? Just outside relegation zone. Exactly, exactly. And they they were in the Europa League last season, weren't they? They got to the semi-final. So, yeah, for me, the biggest thing now, I think what they need to do is, yes, they need to try and replace McAllister as best they can, but they also need to get probably another player for maybe each position on the pitch to, to make sure that they've bolstered that squad as much as they can for that Europa League competition. Absolutely. So we will now move across the pond to talk about Real Madrid and their um, signing and potential signing. So, go on, tell me that Real Madrid is in in a different country. Across no? the pond. That's that's a that's a yeah. That's well, it's America. It's America. Well, it's other way. It's other well, way. That's, no, that's it's, not, it's not, mate. <laughs> across the pond. Hang on. Across the pond, US. That I wonder mate. where we were no, going to then. I was like, what's he going to talk I thought, about? I thought, I thought he was prepping me for darts. Mate, really? across the pond is across the pond is US. That's nah, what people say. Just saying. across water, mate. It's, it's no, it's not. It's the Pacific. Across the Pacific. No, the pond. It's not even Pacific. It's Atlantic. You'd have fucking. It's nice Pacific. What? Mate, I'm not right. I'm mate, sorry, don't, viewers. Don't question me. I'm sorry, viewers and listeners. But it's Atlantic, oh mate. My it's God, Atlantic. It. We've both had a nightmare. Oh, it's Atlantic. Across the Atlantic. Across the pond. Yeah. Right. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> we're not going across the pond. Instead, we're going to go to Spain. Um, Real Madrid <laughs> have uh, seen the exit of Benzema and confirmed the signing of Jude Bellingham. Huge signing for them. Somebody that mm. Liverpool have been after for a while. I can't see it really affecting his England call-up, which is ideal. I think he's been an no. extremely important part of that England side, and I think he's been doing well in, in Germany. Moving over to Spain, I think he's just going to be another another benefit for him. So how do you see him settling into an already strong Real Madrid side? Do you want to take this one first, Cam? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's a fantastic signing for them. Obviously, it's a lot of money, but Real Madrid have never been shy of spending a bit of money, a bit of cash in the past. Um, they've got a score to settle. They want to win that La Liga. They want to get back winning Champions Leagues. Ancelotti's position is a little bit strange at the minute, a little bit tenuous. There's a little bit of, is he staying, is he going in that respect as well? So um, in, in a, maybe a, a transfer window and an off-season for Real Madrid that's maybe a little bit tumultuous, <clears throat> I think it's fantastic signing for them. And Bellingham himself, I think it's a really, really good move. <clears throat> I know there's been a lot of people saying, oh, I should have come to the Premier League and this and that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, where else are you going to get the money that Real Madrid are offering, number one? Number two, where are you going to get the... Uh, opportunity to win things that, that Real have because Man City weren't coming in with an open checkbook for him when they've got the players that they've got. You know, Man United didn't really make moves for him. Liverpool were going to, but then obviously they realised they need to sign a two or three rather than just splashing out for Bellingham. And then you get to the point where the Premier League options are just exhausted. So I think for Bellingham, it's a good move. I think for Real, it's a good move. It's one that we saw come in um, and Dortmund have done their, their standard thing, haven't they? Signing a player for not a lot. Develop, developing mm. them and, and selling them for a, for a chunk of change. So, fair play to all involved. I think it's a good move for everybody and I'm looking forward to seeing where Bellingham develops his career because, fingers crossed, we can we can bin the uh, the PE teacher off in the England setup. Bellingham can develop well at Real Madrid and it can be a key player in a potential competition win for us, selfishly. So, good move all round. 
Well, I, on the other hand, I'm one of the dinosaurs that would have preferred him to see him stay in the Premier League. Um, you're absolutely right in what you're saying. Uh, the, stay, the option, stay, you said stay in the Premier League. Stay in the league, going not to, in. Go into the Premier League, should I say. Um, yeah. Um, the options went, went few, and far, few and far between for him in the Prem. Obviously, Liverpool pulled out of the transfer. It, it looked favoured to go. What was it, about Christmas time? I think they pulled out, saying... Um, no longer interested, so therefore you're looking at your automatic, your Arsenal, yeah, your Man United. When they realise they've got three three people with no legs in midfield, I think they realise they need yeah. more than one. So <laughs> got, they need to, to split their need to split their resources a little yeah. bit more than just the one. I think that's exactly what was what was happening there. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very disappointed. I think it's a bit it's, it's a bit sceptical me saying this, a bit controversial, but I think it's a bit of a boring move myself. A bit a bit safe. Um, is going into a team that's that's just a ready-made team. I'd have liked to have seen him go to a United or go to... Uh, I'd like to have seen him go to City, I must admit, but even a Chelsea or someone like that and just get your sleeves rolled up and make yourself a bit of a club legend. You know, if he's going to United, they, they absolutely loved him there. Um, so I, I think it's a bit safe for him myself, but yeah. This is where we do massively disagree because yeah, you, you mentioned Chelsea there. That would be the worst move for Jude Bellingham in the world. He'd Maybe be going so. into a side where, yes, Pochettino has got experience developing youth and he'd be really, really good with him. But they're at sixes and sevens. They're absolutely all over the gaff. Pochettino's got a lot of work to do there to make sure that, that he, he, he trims down the side rather than actually adding to it. So they're out of the question. United, again, it would have been a great move for United. It would have been a good move for Bellingham. But you look at it, from from his perspective and you say right okay they'd have probably offered him the same sort of wages yeah they'd have probably paid the same sort of fee <clears throat> if they'd have been able to again we go back to united needing to sign a striker so probably wouldn't be able to fork out what they needed for bellingham so that moves that out of the way but let's say that's not the case and they could afford him why would you in that respect i understand what you're saying in terms of a safe bet but <clears throat> he's going to go to a top team, the, the the biggest club in the world, let's be honest, they are the biggest yeah. club in the world. He's going to earn a load of money. He's going to play fantastic football. He's going to be <clears throat> surrounded by world-class players. And, yeah. and he's probably going to get a couple of Champions League and a couple of La Liga medals to, to his name as well. So I think it's a really, really good move for him in that respect because, yes, it's a safe move for that, but a footballer's career is a very short career. And yeah, he's only, what, 20, 21 or whatever he is. But... Goes to Real Madrid for three or four years, wins everything there is to win, develops himself even further than he already has, and then he could potentially move to the Premier League. That's, you know, that, Bellingham's, that's, that's my issue career, with this move. But Bellingham's career is not going to end at Real Madrid. He's not going to stay it there. Could. It, it could, though. This, this, this was literally one of, this is one of my main points of the, of the whole move, right? When do you ever see Real Madrid sell a player banging their prime? It doesn't happen. They, it's like, different player, now. I don't think it is a player. Real Madrid will sign a player. Look at your Cruz. Look at your Modric. They'll sign a player and they'll just run him into the ground and they'll play him for ten years. This is what I'm thinking. Jude Bellingham is going to be there for about next ten but years. But it's not the same. But they weren't the same play. They, well, they weren't in the same position as, as as Bellingham is now with his career. Bale had already had a successful Premier League career. So had Modric. Right? They'd already done it. Kroos had already had a really successful career as well. So they'd already been there and they'd done that. And the difference then was is that Real Madrid and La Liga were still mm. the superpower. Don't they know. Were, they were. I think they were. I think I think you can fairly compare him to Modric. Modric was at the top of his game. Bellingham's arguably at the top of his game. He's not. He didn't win anything at Tottenham. It was just a, one of the best That's players. Tottenham, though. Yeah, but this Dortmund, didn't it? It's, it? It was Bellingham was probably one of the best players in that Dortmund team. So was Modric. So I think it's quite decent comparison. And they're more likely to keep him than they are to sell him within the next five years. 
No, and again, five years perhaps, but even then he's 25. He's still going to be coming into his athletic peak. And and my main point is, is not really on that, not really on the players as such. My main point is, is that who is the best team in the world right now? Man City. Man City. What's the best league in the world right now? Premier League. Premier League. The difference, the difference is, in my opinion, is that back then when they signed Modric, when they signed Kroos, when they signed Bale, Real Madrid were the best team in the world and the La Liga was the best league in the world in terms of quality. You'd got Barca still on fire. You'd got Ronaldo and Benzema smashing it up at Real Madrid and, and breaking all the records. So it was more appealing for that move at that point in time. In my opinion, and we'll only see this in time, I think Bellingham will uh, go there for a few years. I don't think he'll develop as well as he did at Dortmund, obviously, no. because they're not the same type of club. There will be more expectations on him. But ultimately, I, I honestly can see in a few years' time him potentially then moving to the Premier League, moving then from Real Madrid to a Premier League team. And you know what? Even if he doesn't, so what? He's still going to make a boatload of money and win a boatload of trophies. Yeah, it's, it's definitely... I, I can see the whole money side of it, and I'll never knock somebody for going and... And, and you know, make take trophies as well, though. It's trophies as well, though, mate. Yeah, it is trophies, but it's it's almost equivalent of uh, winning league with Celtic or Rangers, isn't it? It's, it's one or other with Empire. It's a bit more prestigious, though, and you're not going to win a Champions League with Rangers or Celtic, whereas Jude Bellingham probably is. And 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 you look at it from that perspective as well. It's not just about money for him. Otherwise, he could have probably gone to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Let's be honest, he could have probably signed a contract of five million pound a week in Saudi Arabia, but. I think he'll go, I think he'll earn a lot of money. I think he'll win a lot of trophies. And ultimately, what's football about? It's about winning trophies and, 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 and finances. I do agree with you in the sense that I would have loved to see him in the Premier League. I would have loved to see him at Man United. But ultimately, for Bellingham and for Real Madrid, I think it's a really, really good move. Selfishly, would have loved to see him in the Premier League. I completely agree with you. But I can't knock either side for, for the deal that they've done. I think it's good for everybody. Fair Adam, what are your thoughts on it? I like it. I think it's a great move for him. I think it's he's still with one of the big clubs in the world. He's still got the opportunity to keep himself on the international stage as well. I think when you're going to a side like Chelsea, I know it's going to sound stupid to say, but at the moment you risk yourself falling out of favour within England if you're not performing. And I think at the moment everyone within that... I don't think Chelsea was ever on the... Radar. No, but for, yeah, I know Sam mentioned Chelsea. I did say Chelsea earlier, and it was probably a bad... bad you know, example that. So I'd probably remove Chelsea from that. But yeah, carry on. I think a side like Liverpool, again, if he'd gone there, I wouldn't have had any grumbles there. I think both sides are on that sort of playing field at the moment where if he can fit into that side, he keeps himself on on England duty. But if he goes to the Premier League and maybe moves to an Arsenal, maybe not so much. Um, Manchester United, again, a similar sort of thing. It, I like the move to Real Madrid. I think he's going to another country to prove that he can do it. He, he's still quite young, still got a, a fair bit of time. And even if he does leave in 10 years' time, he's still in his early 30s. He's still got a long way to go. He can go to the Premier League and, and bring his experience across there and still win championships with whatever team's on top at that point, whether that is a Manchester City or an Arsenal or Manchester United, whoever it is in 10 years' time. So I think it's a great move for him. Sets him up nicely financially. Sets him up to create a legacy as well in, in three different countries as opposed to just, just the two, doesn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. That's my thoughts uh, on him anyway. But uh, with Real Madrid staying on theme again, they've been linked with uh, Harry Kane, something that seems to be happening every year. However, this year it looks more realistic because of the departure of Karim Benzema. So uh, is Harry Kane looking likely? Do you think he'll go to Real Madrid now they've just splashed out for you? Bellingham, I don't think money's too much of an option for them at the moment. And do you think that's maybe Manchester United missing their opportunity for their striker? 
No, I'm going to just keep this bit brief because I just spoke about Madrid. But um, Benzema leaving, obviously, what a servant for that club he's been over the last 10 years or so. Um, Kane would fit that model absolutely perfectly. It's almost like for like going up top there. But I don't think they will get it. they'll get him. I, I am pretty convinced that he will go to United myself. So me saying that is pretty much put nailing coffin of him, of course, going to Real Madrid. So no, I, I do I do think I do think he'll go to United myself. I think he'll stay in the in the Premier League. Um, I sound like a right United fanboy on this tonight, don't I? Everyone's going to United with me. Um hmm. Yeah, no, I'm I, sure I, I my United fans would love your transfer policy. <laughs> it's just everyone going to United. Uh, yeah, no, I, I do. I think I do think he'll be going to United myself. It, it's just a too perfect opportunity to me. If they need a striker. He's available. Just you know, go and go and do your thing at United, and I'm sure Ten Hag would love him. But I, I can't see him going to Madrid myself. I think Harry Kane will stay at Spurs. Yeah, and run out his contract. I think that'd be the biggest surprise myself. I do. I think he'll uh, run out his contracts. I think Daniel Levy won't be able to get the return on investment for him that he probably wants in the sense that I don't think anybody will pay the price that he's probably going to put on his head with one year left on his contract. And I think he will look at it in the sense of, right, we've got Postacoglu. Let's let's put all our chips in the middle. Keep Harry Kane for another year. Um, let's let's try our best to get into the Champions League with Harry Kane and then use that prize money in the Champions League to, to recruit somebody else as well as getting Harry Kane's wages off our books and I, and I do think Daniel Levy will will stick to his guns and I think that might be a bit of a detriment to him but I, I think that's what will happen I would rather see him at United than Madrid I, I, I would because I'd like to see him beat Shearer's record um, oh, I think no. he's a, a good player and I, d- I do think that I would like to see that for him because he does seem like a a down-to-earth bloke that that probably does deserve it with all the, the graft that he's put in for Spurs over the years and he's not had no no reward for it, basically, as <laughs> let's be honest. So, you know, abs- the, By the way, Ags absolutely I know, the face that. in breaking Shearer's record, but I think for the best thing for Man United personally would be that, that it would go to Real Madrid because, again, I'm going to stick to my guns. I think Man United would be much better signing Victor Osserman than Harry Kane. I might be out of there. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you know what you I know what. I probably I, I probably do agree with you. I probably I like I like the signing of Kane to United, um, but I, I probably would prefer Rossman if I'm being honest. But I think I, I can't see that transfer happening this year. I think he's going to stay at Napoli, so um, that's the only reason I'm saying Kane. I think I, I just can't see can't see United signing myself. That's that's the only mainly logic behind it. No, I understand that. I think there's there's two schools of thought. Do they do, do Man United say right? Okay, we're going to go for it. We're going to put all our chips in the middle. We're going to sign Kane for how much we're going to sign him for? Yes, he is 29. He'll be 30 by the time the season starts. Are we going to take that risk and say right? Let's spend all this money now and hopefully he can get us over the line. I think Ten Hag looked at that FA Cup final and the course of the season as well and probably thinks. Hmm, we're probably a little bit more than a couple of years away from from winning it, even with a Harry Kane in tow. So I think it would be better if they did invest more, more in, in a youthful player rather than Harry Kane and went for that rather than, than somebody that's probably at his peak, if not maybe a little bit sort of towards the back end of his peak. Adam, you just pulled a face there at Kane, potentially breaking Shearer's record. I think if he does stay in the Premier League, I think he will break Shearer's record. I think it's quite obvious that he probably will. Uh, he's, he's, he's guaranteed at least 25 goals a season. He is only, like I say, 29, so he's got at least three or four years left. Um, I think he'll definitely do it. What do you think Kane's next move is going to be? 
I think you're right, he does it. I just don't like the fact that he's going to do it because I'm an Alan Shearer fan, so I'd rather Shearer kept his record. Um, you're a dinosaur. I am a dinosaur, <laughs> yeah. yeah, go with that. Um, I'd like to see him go to United, and this might look like a bit of a selfish view, but you think that the forward three for United could easily be, OK, Fernandes uh, playing as more of an attacking midfielder, but Marcus Rashford, a healthy and fit Jadon Sancho, and Harry Kane, you think of what that's going to do, not just for Manchester United, but for England pushing forward as well. I know we've got Grealish, we've got Foden, but you've got three players playing together on a weekly basis, creating that sort of partnership. Then you're going to play for England as well. From an attacking perspective, we're just going to look unbeatable. And if United do go for him, I think it's the right time to go for him. I don't think leaving him there for another year is going to be ideal for anybody. I think he's no. just in a Tottenham team that's just going nowhere. And Kemp, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because you mentioned about Harry Kane staying for another year to run out his contract. Lloris has put in a transfer request from Tottenham. I felt that that might have been the first domino to fall and the rest just kind of take that sort of effect. That's the captain making his decision that he wants out. Do you not think that that's then just going to lead to other Tottenham players thinking, you know what, it is time to to move on, Son? No, personally, with Hugo Lloris, with the way he's played this season, I think if I were a Tottenham player and he had his transfer request and I'd be lobbying for a new contract because he's been pathetic. Um, But yeah, with with Kane, I don't think it's the right decision for Tottenham. I don't think it's the right decision for Kane. I just think Daniel Levy will be too stubborn and I just don't think he'll let him go. I think he'll say, you know what, fuck you, you're not going anywhere, you're running out your contract and you're going to try and get us into the Champions League. That's what I personally think. Do I think it's the right decision for anybody involved? No, I don't. I don't. I think the best thing for Kane would actually probably be to, to go to United. don't think the best thing for United is to get Kane, though. Do you know what I mean? There's that different yeah. different perspective. So, yeah, I don't think it would be the right decision, but I can see it happening. Um, and I think I've just had a quick look at the odds, and he is odds-on to stay at Spurs rather than go to United or, or Real Madrid. So uh, watch this space, I'm sure. That might just be the new manager sort of input, isn't it? But they've been on like a manager merry-go-round over the last couple of years, haven't they? And they've had so many managers, it's just been easy for Tottenham to keep on repre- uh, pressing the reset button. Right, let's move on to the golf. Just before we do move on to the golf, we're talking about a striker that's potentially moving on elsewhere. One striker that has confirmed today that they are moving on elsewhere is, is Billy Sharp. Um, I'm a Sheffield United fan. Of course, I'm going to get it in. I've got to get it in. Um, absolute club legend. Three stints at the club. Um, support of the club as a boy. Grew up in Gleadless in Sheffield. He went to Gleadless School and, and, and he's been the epitome of Sheffield United over the past few years. I've got goosebumps while I'm talking about it. He's not been up to snuff the last couple of seasons. It's, it's obvious for anybody to see ages catching up with him. I think he is late 30s now, 37, 38, I think he is now. So obviously that is going to happen. Um, but just sort of thank you, Billy Sharp, for everything you've done for Sheffield United. And uh, hopefully we've got that statue on order as soon as possible because he, he fucking deserves it, boys. So... Thank you, Billy Sharp, for, for, for everything. And uh, just, just before we quickly do move on to the uh, to the golf, which I'm looking forward to talking about, which has been a crazy, crazy week in golf. One word answer from both of you. Where does Billy Sharp land next season, Adam? Chesterfield. Where? Fucking <laughs> okay, no. no. Where? I, I think he's Where? going... Is it not Rotherham? You I, didn't, I, didn't hear, I didn't hear you say that. What you did you say? say mate. I said I know I genuinely did. What did you say? I said Chesterfield originally. <laughs> you know what, right? And I'm not saying that he's oh. going to sign for us or anything like that, oh. but all over the, the forums Ooh. and everything, people are asking who Chesterfield want as a striker, and all the supporters are saying Billy Sharp. 
and it's driving me insane. Who's going to fucking say that? He's not going to. If you're not one early Haaland as a striker, we're not going to get it. No, but it's, if it's, you ask people realistically, who do you want now? We've got no striker, and they're like, oh, Billy Sharp, Billy Sharp, and it's not going to happen for me. You I will think, not be able to afford him, so no I think chance. He'd, he'd still be a very good player for a maybe lower down Championship to top end League One. I could see it maybe a Rotherham sort of side. I think you mentioned that he was going there at some point anyway, so I'm going to stand by Rotherham. Sam? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure myself. I think he might dip into League One. I think I think he uh, might take the David McGoldrick route. Um, I don't think he'll end up at Derby before. <laughs> I see you smirking. He do not like us. He do not like us. He's, he's quite uh, quite on record of having a lot of bad blood against Derby. Did he play for Forest for a bit? Uh, I think he did, to be fair. And he also played at Leeds as well for a bit as well. Didn't he? So that's, that's yeah, obviously a bit of a... It, there's been a lot of stick with Derby fans and him and... Um, and yeah, a couple of couple of other bits. Um, yeah, but if he, yeah, but if he bangs twenty five goals a season in three and gets you back in championship, that's very quickly forgotten. I know, but it's it's another short sighted sign, isn't it? We're all well and good last year doing it when we we're patching a team together, just you know, by nuts and bolts. But now that we've got a steady owner, we've been, you know, we're we're saying we're allowed to sign players. We start, we need to start thinking again and getting a proper team together that's going to last us for the next five years. And Billy Sharp's not that for me, so um, I wouldn't like to see him at Derby. Um, I'd like I'd like Seals sign re-sign David McGoldrick for another year. I know they're still still in talks about that. Whether he will sign or not is, is another thing. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure myself. Rotherham sounds like a nice shout. Um, are they are they still in championship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're they're still in the championship. Mm. I personally think that's what's going to happen. Uh, or Barnsley. I think Rotherham will sign him. I do think Rotherham will sign him. I, I can't see him dropping into League One, to be honest. I think he wants to play at the highest possible level. Um, and I think Rotherham would be quite a good move for Billy Sharp in the end. So all the best to him if he does join the Millers. Um, Adam, as you mentioned there, thank you for for, for giving me the the leeway to talk about the, the, the golf. Um, I'm not going to talk about golf in the sense of competitions and what's happening this weekend and if there's a major or if McElroy is going to make the cut. I'm going to talk about the news that's boiled my head for the past few days because I just can't get my head around it. The PGA Tour, the DP World Tour and Live Golf, the three main tours in the golfing world, the three main organisations in the golfing world, as it were, have decided to join forces, which is ridiculous because for the past few months, all they've been doing is involving each other in litigation and, and filing lawsuits against each other. So the fact that they're now going to be all part of the same conglomerate, as it were, um, is, is absolutely fucking mental to me. Um, Live Golf last season, last year, um, burst onto the scene with massive signing on fees for players. You saw lots and lots of different players going over to, 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 to Live Golf. One of them being Phil Mickelson, which is obviously a major, major name in golf. Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy really were the main standouts to say, we don't like it, we're not doing it. They really stuck the flag in, in the PGA's um, ground and said, you know, we shall not be moved. And unfortunately, they... They're unwillingly going to be moved into the same sort of organisation because, like I say, Live Golf are are going to be a part of the same thing as the PGA. I think it's a good thing for golf. Ultimately, I think it's going to be one organisation of golf now rather than different tours. I think they will market it the same way or in a similar way to a WWE or a UFC or something like that in the sense of it's going to be golf. You know, when you look at wrestling, WWE, when you look at mixed martial arts, UFC, yes, there are smaller organisations that operate within that space, but you'll look at this new golf league, whatever it's going to be called, and that will be golf. You know, that will be the entirety of, of golf as a sport. Um, 
how is it going to work? We don't know. It's very, very early stages. Um, a new collectively owned entity, and it will be a merger. Um, what does that mean for the Ryder Cup? And how is that going to be structured? What does that mean for the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour? Again, Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia all went to live golf and, and kind of middle finger to the PGA Tour. And now they're going to have to sort of share a room with the PGA players again and say, oh, yeah, you're all right. So it's going to be an awkward uh, dressing room at some of the um, some of the majors uh, when, when this does kick off. But yeah, who knows what's going to happen? But a major, major development in the golfing world um, in the last week. Um, and we're going to have to see how it plays out but yeah what 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 a crazy world we live in and uh, sport is an ever-evolving beast and it's evolved into something that I did not see coming Adam so uh, yeah big big week for golf off off the off the course which is a a, a weird weird week because again you don't usually hear that or, or see major controversy about about golf in the media or whatever it might be so watch this space and obviously when when we do hear know more about the merger and how it'll work um We'll uh, we'll be uh, right on it on uh, on loaded sport. Yeah, and it'll probably be posted on our social media channels, which will be facebook.com forward slash loaded sport on Twitter. Sam, why on earth would you come to me at any prep whatsoever? <laughs> I thought you knew the Twitter handle. I think it's at loaded sport, mate. But you, you've well, got absolutely so now. At, at at loaded sport. Yeah, I thought it was well. caught me off guard there. Fucking hell. On Instagram, Adam. Oh, I will catch you off. I don't know. Loaded underscore sport. I don't know any of the channels, do I? I just hope you guys remember them. That's <laughs> you just you just throw it to us without. <laughs> yeah, I just throw it to you guys. Hope you guys remember. That's all yeah, I've got to do. Yeah. Right. Uh, moving on to discuss the Formula One, and there is no race this weekend, so it's just a quick review of what took place in Spain last weekend, and that is that Max Verstappen won yet another race to make it. Uh, a 100% win record for Red Bull this season. A shout out to Skin, because last week when we spoke about the predictions, we both predicted Lewis Hamilton to finish as the surprise on the, po- uh, on the podium. He actually got Lewis Hamilton finishing in second place in the Mercedes. George Russell finished in third place in the end, showing that the Mercedes upgrades are too strong for at least one of the two Red Bull cars, as Sergio Perez only made it into fourth place. Uh, by the end of the race. We do go to Canada next weekend and we'll have more of a preview towards what's taking place. As it stands, despite the wildfires that are going on in Canada at the moment, there is expectation that the race is still due to go ahead. I'd like to be able to tell you more about what actually took place in Spain, but it was just straightforward, simple strategies and, and that was it. There wasn't too much entertainment throughout the entire of the race, no retirements that really took place. It was a case of Max Verstappen started the race in first place, he then finished the race in first place and a couple of cars moved up and that was literally it. There was no real overtaking. It was due to strategies that, that allowed uh, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell to move up. Uh, Sergio Perez moved up from 11th place into fourth place to keep a little bit of pressure on his teammate, but it looks like it's just going to be formality for Red Bull and formality for Max Verstappen for the remainder of this season. Um, that, unfortunately, is it for uh, for Formula 1. I didn't really sell it very well, but there isn't too much to talk about in that sport at the moment. It does just seem to be a one-horse race. It's about as uh, straightforward as the Spanish, uh, the Scottish Premier League, as uh, Ken would re- Kemp would refer to. So we'll go over now to Sam. We'll go across the pond to the Hey, darts. well done, mate. Well done. Been practising. Yeah, the uh, the darts was in the US for the, the was it the, um, the US Masters? Uh, not uh, not going to go too too much into it, but just a couple of uh, first round knockouts involving uh, Michael Smith. Surprisingly enough, he lost six uh, two 
to Jim Long. And the other one was not so much a surprise was your man, Peter Wright, the old snake bite losing also 6-2 to Jeff Smith. And uh, I think Jeff Smith actually went on to uh, make the final. It was a pretty foregone conclusion. And uh, Michael Van Gerwen convincingly beat him in the final 8-0. So... Other than that, not much to write home about in regards to the US um, semi-finals. Van Gogh had a good uh, good game against uh, Rob Cross, 7-6. And, that, and Jeff Smith, uh, he also seen off Luke Humphrey as well. So that Jeff Smith, the man from the US, he beat, uh, beat a fair few of the Premier League boys on, on his way to... Uh, oh, no, Luke Humphrey's in playing the Premier League, did he, this year? So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the US. Uh, not much to really speak about in, in the dark world, what's just been gone. So... We're just going to look straight ahead. Obviously, there is the World Cup of Darts that's coming up, and that will be next Thursday. We're going to speak about it more next episode. That's the the 15th of June, Thursday to Sunday, the 18th of June. So it's a couple of days. Uh, Premier League darts. It's Premier League of darts. World Cup of darts. Uh, I'll be honest. I've never actually watched um, any any World Cup of darts, so it's all going to be new viewing to me. Obviously, this year I have recently just got into darts. Aggie, have you uh, have you ever watched any of these this format before? Or I have. I've watched a bit of the World Cup in the past, and I implore you to watch it. I think you'll really enjoy it. You enjoyed the Premier League. You enjoyed the competitions before them as well, the World Championships. So I think the World Cup something that you'll really get behind. And and I'm a fan of Rob Cross, so I'm glad to see that he got mm. the call up to England as well. I said that I was disappointed that he didn't get into the Premier League, but he hadn't really done too much to set himself up for that call up. So. Good to see him back in the World Cup, and I know there's been a couple of people. Luke Humphries, you just mentioned, then was quite disappointed that he didn't get his call up. Understandably so, yeah. I guess. And it's going to be Rob Cross and Michael Smith to uh, to carry the uh, the the England flag to uh, to the World Cup. So yeah, much more to talk about uh, for that next Thursday. And I'm looking forward to seeing your your response and your reaction the week after when you finish sit down and watch it, Sam, because I think you'll really enjoy it. Mm. Yes, I'll really enjoy the doubles format as well, Sam. I really do. Yeah, um, I've never, never, ever watched a doubles format of, of darts, just a little FYI, mm, so that will be new to me watching yeah. that. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy the doubles format, and it's, it's pretty decent. Group stage is best of seven legs, second round, best of 15 legs, quarterfinal, best of 15, semi-final, best of 15, and then final, best of 19 legs. So they're always meaty games, um, and like I said, um, them, that double format is, is an interesting one as well, because you start seeing, you know, the... the 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 tactics change a little bit and you also mm. start seeing darts players in a little bit of a different light you know if the partner's struggling a little bit they've kind of got to be that that coach and that caddy for them at the same time so uh, I think you'd really enjoy it and uh, looking forward to covering it on Loaded Sport mm, absolutely absolutely then so uh, to conclude Loaded Sports episode fifty two Kemp it is time for Kempy's comeback corner and UFC oh. two eighty nine UFC yeah UFC two eighty nine two FC um, it's not the biggest card of the year. It's not the biggest card on the calendar. Uh, it is Amanda Nunes defending her Women's Bantamweight Championship against Irene Aldana. Uh, Amanda Nunes was meant to be having a rubber match with Juliana Pena after beating her in a points decision last year. Uh, we've got Charles Oliveira, the former champion, against Benil Dariush in the lightweight division. The rest of the card is a bit a bit throwaway, to be fair, um, but it's, it's going to be a, an interesting night of fights. Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush really is the the, the big one in my in my perspective for for the fight of the night and one that we're really going to be looking at. I think either one of this pair, whoever wins, is is going to throw themselves really back into that main contendership to fight against Islam Makhachev for the lightweight championship. So big permutations in that fight, probably even bigger than at bantamweight because unless we see 
the shock of the century. Irene Aldana is, is not going to beat Amanda Nunes for that for that women's bantamweight championship. But anything can happen any given Sunday, as Dawson likes to say. I'm going to quote him while he's not here. Um, anything can happen in, in sport. Um, but Irene Aldana has got a mountain to climb when it comes to Amanda and the Lioness Nunes. So opening up with, with UFC 289, um, I can see Benil Dariush getting the job done against Charles Oliveira. You do tend to find that Champions who do lose the belt tend to go on a little bit of a slide after they've done that. And I think Oliveira will be no different. I think Benil Dariush will be a little bit too much for him in the wrestling game and the exchanges. Um, and Oliveira will make want to make it a, a scrap and make it an entertaining fight for the fans. I think Dariush will be quite happy to, to get him to the ground, keep him there, control him in the in the transitions and, and get a points decision. And I think Amanda Nunes will win pretty convincingly. I think she'll, she'll probably end up stopping Irene Aldana um, pretty early on. And it'll be a convincing win for Amanda Nunes to hopefully take her into that rubber match with Juliana Pena, as I've discussed. Um, the main bit this weekend in terms of combat sports, there's 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 a there's a, there's a huge fight uh, coming out of the UFA. Josh USA Josh Taylor versus Tiafimo Lopez um, is is taking place on Saturday night as well. I am going to circle back round to that um, and talk very very briefly about Sonny Edwards versus um, uh, Campos. His first name, Andres Campos, that's it. Uh, IBF world flyweight champion, um, Sonny Edwards is is taking on, like I say, Andres Campos. Um, it's going to be a really, really good night of fights. Johnny Fisher fighting, Ellie Scottney fighting, uh, and Chevron Clark as well for Eddie Hearn's matchroom boxing this weekend um, at the uh, at Wembley Arena, I think it is. So that's going to be a, a pretty decent uh, event um, in terms of a, um, a domestic um, fight for, for, for UK fight fans. Um, Sonny Edwards recently signed to matchroom boxing, looking to retain his IBF World Flyweight Championship and then move on, hopefully, to uh, unify and, and maybe become undisputed in his division. So that's going to be a really good night of fights and I'm really looking forward to, to sitting down and watching the main event in that one, if nothing else. The main event, as I say, circling back round to Josh Taylor versus Tiafimo Lopez. Josh Taylor, the WBO super lightweight champion, uh, will be taking on Tiafimo Lopez this weekend. Um, and it's going to be a, a, a showstopper, in my opinion. Um, Josh Taylor against Jack Catterall. Last year now, Josh Taylor was was kept out of, of a potential rematch with Jack Catterall because of an injury. Um, and, and he's now fighting against uh, his longtime rival, uh, Tiafimo Lopez, who is absolutely no slouch himself, a former world champion himself, uh, undisputed world champion himself. Um, and it's going to be a, a humdinger of a fight. Josh Taylor with a lot to prove. Like I say, fight against Jack Catterall last season. Um, should have lost the fight pretty much unanimously. Everybody thought that, that he didn't win that fight. Um, but, but fortunately for his sake, he got the nod somehow um, and, and managed to retain his title. Has vacated a title, um, but, but is, is still fighting in this big fight against Tiafimo Lopez this weekend. For Josh Taylor, like I say, a lot of people in the media, a lot of people, a lot of pundits, a lot of boxing fans have kind of seen Josh Taylor as a, as a leading light in England. And when he won his, his Unified World Championship, um, a lot of people looked at it and thought, hang on a minute, no UK broadcasters picked that up. It's a UK fighter winning an undisputed championship and no UK broadcaster picked it up at the time. Um, and then he, he went and fought against Jack Catterall in his home in Glasgow, Scotland, um, and lost convincingly, everybody thought, but he managed to keep his titles and slip away with his titles on a split decision. One of the worst decisions I've ever seen in boxing in my entire life, and there's been some bad ones. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, 
it behaved after that fight in a little bit of a disrespectful manner, saying that he thought he deserved to win the fight and insulting the intelligence of a lot of boxing fans. Um, so people have kind of changed their mind in that respect and said, well, hang on a minute, you know, you're probably not the golden boy that we all potentially thought you were. So, yeah, it's going to be a really, really interesting fight. Tia Lopez is absolutely no slouch. He, again, former... U- undisputed champion himself um, or, or uh, it might, might be unified champion himself but former world champion TFMO Lopez um, a really 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 good solid solid quality fighter golden glove champion um, in, in the US as well lost against Cho- uh, George Cambosis uh, by a razor close split decision again at Madison Square Garden that's where um, the, the fight will be taking place this weekend as well at Madison Square Garden a couple of impressive wins after that but again, Josh Taylor is, is going to be a, a difficult fight for him. Um, I can see Tiafimo Lopez winning this. I think it was a very, very bad night for Josh Taylor last year. And I think he is capable of a lot better than that. But I honestly do think as well that Tiafimo Lopez is absolutely not done at that world stage. And I think he will get it done against Josh Taylor this weekend. Josh Taylor's not got the, the luxury of home judges and home scorers. Um, he is on foreign, uh, you know, he's in enemy territory, as it were. Um, you know, TFMO Lopez, billing, build and brought, born in Brooklyn, New York. Obviously, it's taking place at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, he's a New Yorker fighting in New York. And um, I think it's going to be a bit too much. I think TFMO Lopez is going to win by a points decision. And I think it will be fairly convincing. So does that set Josh Taylor up then again for a rematch with Lopez? Does it set him up for a rematch with Jack Catterall? Who knows? But boxing at the minute, apart from the heavyweight division, which we're not going to touch on because it's a complete waste of time, is really, really <clears throat> in a good place, especially at this lower weight division. So looking forward to these fights this weekend, looking forward to the to seeing what happens in the UFC rather than actually watching it itself. One that I am questioning whether I'm going to stay up for, I'm not 100% sure just yet, um, but we will see where we go. So boxing rolls on and rolls on in, 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 in smashing fashion this weekend at Madison Square Garden, uh, the Wembley Arena, um, and obviously the UFC taking place um, at, I believe, the Rogers Arena in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So a fantastic weekend of fights once again. Uh, and we'll cover it all again, as we always do next week on Kempis Combat Corner. There we go. That should work a little bit better. Then I'd managed to mute myself throughout uh, Kempis Combat Corner. So I didn't intervene, Kemp, and uh, I forgot to unmute myself afterwards. The ever professional. Uh, there you lads, go. We're all professionals on Lovett Sport, aren't we? We are, exactly. Uh, lads, thank you very much for joining me to go through all of that. I have seen, uh, since we've been talking about the transfers and everything, just one thing to conclude on. According to a Brighton of Albion reporter, Arsenal are expected to be putting a bid in for Caicedo. Uh, Caicedo? I think I've yeah, Caicedo. butchered the pronunciation, but that's what I do. Um, it's expected to be similar to the £75 million package that was rejected in January. So potentially a move there, mm-hmm. ruling out the chances of Declan Rice. I can't see them spending, what's that, 100 and, is it 150, 160 on, on both of them? Yeah. I don't think they're going to spend that much money this summer. This, this, is what, this is what I was talking about earlier. I mean, I don't want to dive into it again, but they've got to be careful, haven't they? They can't, they can't let him go and McAllister go and Trossard last year and then still expect to operate the same. So... They just it's a slippery slope to get on. They just need to be careful, I think. Absolutely. We'll talk more about that next week when hopefully more news has come to light. But Sam, Kemp, lads, thank you very much for joining me. No worries, I'll mate. Cheers, no worries. And Adam, do you want to go through the social media uh, where people can oh, find us? Fuck, I should have remembered these. Um, right, Twitter is at Loaded Sport. Boom. Instagram is Loaded underscore Sport. Boom. Correct. Facebook is Facebook.com forward slash sport. 
No, it's oh, just it's just a loaded sport. Fucking hell. We're doing well for ourselves. Just covering we all are doing genre. well to say that we're just covering all of sports. <laughs> you type in sport on Facebook, everybody. You just find us. That's all you need. Facebook.com forward slash loaded sport. TikTok, I could not tell you. And where, no. can, where can people hear us and listen to the podcast? Uh, YouTube, just search Loaded Sport. And on Spotify, just search Loaded Sport as well. Just make right, sure yeah. everybody is absolutely spot on. But make sure everybody, if you can, we are a growing channel. We're loving what we're doing. We're at episode 53, I think it is now. 52. So we're 54, is it? 52. Two. 52. Oh, God, I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's how excited I am to keep carrying on with Loaded Sport. So if you can subscribe... Uh, and drop a like on any of the videos on YouTube and subscribe to our uh, to our um, podcast on, on Spotify as well. It will mean the world to us. So thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you soon. Amen.